Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. Episode 21 of MASH Matters. 21 MASH Matters. Can you believe it? 21. Holy moly. Yes. Congratulations, Brian Patrick. Congratulations to you, Jeff Maxwell. This is quite an accomplishment. We should get a 21 podcast salute for this, shouldn't we? We should. Do do podcasts salute? Do they? I don't know. I don't know. If there is one, though, we deserve it because we had a wonderful outpouring of response from part one of this interview. And now we get to present to you part two of our talk with Mike Farrell. And this is very exciting. And he's a very exciting guy. And he's a very accomplished guy, which you will hear all about in this upcoming part two of Mike Farrell's interview. So stay tuned. This is a good one. This is a good one. And if you have not heard part one yet, you need to go back and listen to part one because, you know, you can't go to a sequel until you see the original. So go listen to part one and we'll wait. We'll wait. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right here. Just, uh, just waiting. So what's new? Anything? Uh, you know, I had a, I had a boil lanced uh, the other day. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. good. They gets all red and oozy. Yeah. Oh. It's, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. You're back. Okay, good. All right. All right. And we're back. (laughs) The first time people are showing up for 21, they go, wait a minute. I don't want to hear about boils oozing. What the heck is that? I want to hear Mike Farrell. I'm going to listen to two guys talking about boils. Give me a break. (laughs) You never know what you're going to hear on MASH Matters, by golly. You never know. That is true. And hey, if you would like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. You can find us online at MASHMattersPodcast.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. And you can email us, mashmatterspodcast at gmail.com. Or if you would like, you can call and leave a voicemail for us at 513-436-4077. And we may just play your voicemail on an upcoming episode of MASH Matters. Or just stop by the house. (laughs) That's all right as well. But bring a good bottle of wine if you do. And nachos. And nachos. All right. Are we still on? Is this still? Is anybody anybody on? Let me me check the list here. If we covered everything, yes. Okay. So uh, the voicemail, yeah. The email, yeah. The Lance Boyle, yes. Uh, Wine and nachos. Yeah, I think we got everything. So now we can present to you part two of our talk with the wonderful Mike Farrell. Uh, You mentioned earlier, some people, you know, had different opinions about MASH. Somebody and people have said to me over the years that, oh, gosh, you know, I love the uh, these years of MASH, but those years of MASH I didn't like so much because it got too preachy. Yeah. Uh, Everybody was preaching. Yeah. And I kind of nod and just smile because I, you know, I go, well, you know, I don't know. So what would what would your answer to that be? I'd love to hear that. Um, The show was always about war, always about the fact that hostility, war, kills, hurts. The the, the bottom line was blood is not spilled without cost. And there's great cost to any kind of antagonism, any kind of hostility. Um, And I think that the thing I said earlier about the writers determining that they wanted to go deeper into the characters brought out a lot of interactive, psychologically important stuff. And continuing to say, as we did, that war hurts, blood is not spilled without cost, there is damage that is being done that is unnecessary. We had to find ways to express it. 
And sometimes it was expressed interpersonally and sometimes expressed in broad strokes and sometimes it was expressed by Henry Blake being killed and sometimes it was expressed by Klinger prancing around in a, you know, a lady's getup. And sometimes it was expressed beautifully by Bill Christopher talking about the surgeons warming their hands on a freezing icy day over the heat that rises out of a body they've opened up. I mean, the incredible power of the show, I think, was its willingness to go deeper. Mm. For those who wanted to see it because they thought it was funny to watch Jamie walk around in women's clothes, and for those who were looking for the laughs, only the laughs, I just think they missed about three quarters of the value of the show. But all of those things were there. So it cast a wide net, I think, bringing in people who weren't looking for some of the messages that were being given, but found them, whether they wanted them or not. Oh, boy. Oh boy. You, were, you began the show in the, see, I think we were talking about the third year. Is that right? Fourth year. Fourth year. Yeah. So you were there for seven years. Eight years. Eight. Eight years. Eight. Okay. I'm not good at math, really. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> Eight and three or 11. We, we were there for 11 years. Hit me. Double down. <laughs> I, <laughs> in your seven years, eight years, however many years you were there, was there a real understanding of this was really going to be one of the best experiences that you had? Or were there ever moments you went, yeah, gee, I don't know, There's, this could be a problem or gosh, maybe we could do it differently. Was there any of that ever or was it always a kind of an open conversation with everybody to, to handle whatever it is that somebody may object to? Uh, there, you know, there are a couple of questions in, in embedded in there yes uh, <laughs> about eight actually there's eight questions for seven i'm not sure um loretta once told a story to me she said uh you know i everybody talks about this show and it's all mash 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 and they just want to <laughs> you go to a thing and they said well you know time was talking about how wonderful mash is and she said that's great i like it but you, you sometimes you wonder think if there isn't something else and she said and i was at this party uh, recently and there was this fellow there, and he's a nice enough guy. And he said, what do you do? And I said, I'm an actress. And he said, oh, really? Are you working in something in particular? She said, yes, uh, I'm on a show called MASH. And he said, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I said to myself, what? <laughs> what? How dare you <laughs> not know what MASH is? <laughs> so uh, she said, so I realized. It's not too much when people want to talk about mash, 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 because there are some people out there who don't know what mash is and poor them. <laughs> so the time I mentioned earlier when I came back from Southeast Asia, I think, and, uh, and came back to the set. And I, I know, Jesus, when I came back from Cambodia, when I came back from Central America to the set. See, again, very few actors would say that. Yeah. <laughs> you would not hear that statement. Not a lot of people. Some actors <laughs> can't even point them out on a map. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I came back and I thought, the same as I thought the, the second day I came up to the set, how lucky can a guy be? I'm an actor. I am the luckiest actor in the world for having been able to be part of this company, doing this work in this time. So there was never for me a time where I said, oh, Jesus, this is boring, or oh my God, when's it going to be over? I did say to Alan, somewhere in year 10, my seventh year, I said, what, 
what's your sense of how long this show should go? And he said, you know, I always thought maybe 10 years. And I said, well, that's where we are now. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, maybe we ought to think about that. And we took it into the, um, to the group. You know, we used to have this, you, as you know, Jeff, we had this little place where we had our chairs and we'd go in and sit and do lines and rehearse scenes and do all that other stuff. But we talked in, uh, just about deeply personal things at the same time. And we brought up this idea of what about the end of the show? Do we want it to go on forever until what I said is I don't want some network executive to say, oh, ho, hum, we've had enough. Let's pull the plug. I said, I think there's a price that we can and should extract for the end of the show. And it is the end of the war so that we can say goodbye to each other as characters. We can we can say goodbye and thank you to the audience that we can wrap this thing in an appropriate way rather than just having it kind of become a carbon copy of itself, the thing that people wanted to avoid all those years ago. So there was never, there was never a sense of, oh God, it's too much. How do I get out of here? The sense was, how do we do it appropriately? How do we end this show in a manner that's as magnificent as the experience has been for all of us? And that resulted in our collectively making that decision and passing the word on to uh, the network through the studio they all had a cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you yeah. I've heard you tell the story before about the uh, the network executive's note. <laughs> please please tell that story. Oh, the, this guy came down and we said we said we want the show to end and we want to end it with an episode that ends the war. And they said no, we can't do that. <laughs> we said why not? And this this guy came down and he said, "Look, he said you have to understand something, folks." You can't end the show with an episode that ends the war. And we said, why? And he said, do you remember the fugitive David Jansen's show about the <laughs> doctor, whatever his name yeah. is, where he was pursuing the one-armed man to prove his innocence? Blah, blah. Yeah, of course we remember that show. He said, well, he wanted to end the show by finding the one-armed man and declaring Dr. What's-His-Name's innocence. Uh, and and it killed the show in syndication. <laughs> and we looked at each other, and we, I looked at this guy, and I said, you know, it might surprise you to realize that a lot of people in this country realize the Korean War ended. <laughs> he, he, looked at, he looked at me, and he looked at the rest of us, and he got up and walked out of the room. <laughs> oh, gosh. What? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, 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 you know, they, they made this decision that ended up being exactly the right one, mm -hmm. which was not to end it with an episode that ended the war. It ended with a movie that mm -hmm. ended the war, which, which <laughs> to their evil genius, <laughs> they didn't rerun that movie for a couple of years after the series ended because they didn't, <laughs> they didn't want the syndication to be impacted. Uh, yeah. Wow. And how crazy. The show has run since then uh, 3 billion times <laughs> every day around the world. So yeah, at, uh, yeah. No problem there, huh? You know, you talk about dealing with network executives. You uh, certainly are an actor, but you are also a writer, director, and a producer. And you had a partner and you produced television shows, movies. Uh -huh. Was that as special or as enjoyable as, as uh, being B.J. Honeycutt? Well, you know, nothing will ever match the experience of MASH, but I had a wonderful time being a producer. I, I realized actually on the show, uh, you know, when Bert once, I, I came to Bert with a question 
I said, I got an idea for an episode. And I ran it by him. And he said, that's a great idea. Why don't you write it? And I thought, what, me? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, the writing staff was extraordinary. And the caliber of the writing was so high, I was a little intimidated by that idea. But then they said, yeah, 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 come on. And then, you know, write it out. And then we'll come on in the room and we'll go over and it, it was it was really thrilling. Um, and the same thing happened with directing. I went up to him and said, "You know, I'd like to I'd like to give that a try." He said, "Absolutely, you should. You've been watching. You've been paying attention. You should." So that gives you enough energy and positive responses like that give you the kind of guts, I suppose, to dare to do some things that you weren't sure you knew how to do exactly. Hmm. And then I, I realized in that process that the real power in this equation is the producer's power who can say, this is the actor I want. This is the director I want. This is the script I want. And here's what I want it to say. And if it doesn't say it, here's what I'll tell him to have it say. And I, I, a guy sent me, um, you know, we got all kinds of mail while we were on the show, but a guy sent me was essentially a a tome of a really thick book and he said he was an ex-Marine and he heard I was an ex-Marine and he wanted he'd written this book about his time in the Marines and he wanted to know if I'd read it and help him get it published and maybe make a movie out of it, whatever. And I read it over time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wrote him and I said, look, this is, this is not a script. It's not a movie. It's, it may be a novel. And I'd urge you to consider, you know, fleshing it out as a book. But I said, you, I want to encourage you to keep writing because I think you're a pretty good writer. And if you ever have anything else, you know, that you want me to see, please do. And he sent me then, uh, about six months later, he sent me something about uh, two fraternal twins, orphans, who, one of whom was brain damaged and one of whom was a genius. And, uh, and it became uh, the movie I did uh, called Dominic and Eugene. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know the movie Dominic and Eugene because it was a wonderful film. But it came out the same season as the as Rain Man did with Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise, so they kind of dwarfed us in the in the box office. But the experience uh, it was a fabulous experience to produce that film, uh, and we went to Pittsburgh and we hired the people we wanted. Tom Tom uh, Hulse. Hulse, thank you, Tom Hulse and Ray Liotta and Jamie Lee Curtis. We cast David Strathairn in one of the first things he ever did. I keep telling you, David, every time I see him now, I started your career, fella. (laughs) 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 Anyway, we just had a ball doing that film. We did, as you said, a number of pictures uh, for television that were a lot of fun. I acted in some of them and not in others. And, And then we did Patch Adams, which was a big hit, but it was not the picture I wanted to make, so that's a that's a long and long ugly story. Well, I want I want to go back to writing for a moment. Sure. Uh, writing on the show, uh, you wrote four episodes: uh, "Run for the Money," right. "War Correspondent," which, by the way, had another one of my childhood crushes, Susan St. James. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, "The Yellow Brick Road," and then "Death Takes a Holiday." Now, I, I'm going to single out "Death Takes a Holiday." I know that that is a fan favorite, and it's a favorite of mine. There, there are so many great storylines uh, that that converge, but it has a moment in that uh, between David Ogden Stiers and Jamie Farr, which to this day is one of my absolute favorite moments, not just in MASH, but just ever. Wonderful scene. What what are your memories of that particular episode, and where did the inspiration come from for that story? 
came from research. Gene and uh, Bert, obviously, and Larry, and then the new writers who came in did a tremendous amount of research about experiences of people in Korea, people in the MASH, people in combat, people, nurses and doctors and wounded people who had their various experiences. And, they, and there was this uh, story about uh, somebody who died on Christmas Day, and they, they were sickened by the fact that his family would be tainted. Their experience of the holiday would be tainted by the knowledge that their husband, father, son, whatever, had been killed that day. That was the sort of beginning. That was the nut of the story. And the, and the rest of it was built around that. To, to remind me of the, of, the, of the David Jamie scene. I'm, I'm not remembering. Well, David Augustyre's uh, Winchester, early on in the episode, had taken chocolate to an orphanage. Oh, right. And they ended up selling the chocolate to pay for rice and beans on the black market. And at the very end of the show, Klinger comes in to talk to Winchester and brings him some of the leftover food. And they have a moment where Jamie says, Ah, Major Winchester, the party of one. Dinner is served. What is this? Well, let me see. For your appetizer, the last of the macadamias, followed by a mixed grill of Lebanese salami, sugar-cured ham, pig's feet, and hog jowls. We have seconds on those. <laughs> Sorry, sir. No smoked oysters. I just smoked the last one. But I didn't. Ah, and for dessert, Frisco fudge and nutty fruitcake. All laced with hemlock, I'm sure. Sorry, sir. No hemlock. But I can get you some ketchup. And what, pray tell, is the catch of the day? Oh, just one catch, Major. Uh-huh. The source of this Christmas dinner must remain anonymous. It's an old family tradition. Thank you, Max. Merry Christmas, Charles. I just love that moment. Just absolutely love it. You, you know, my eyes tear when you start talking about David and Jamie and some of the moments that were allowed. <clears throat> that were people we created, people created that Jesus. It was um, it was a magical time. Yeah. So, what was it like then to take over the role as director? We actually, we had a listener write in and say, uh, let's see here. Uh, it was AJ Gall. He wrote in and said, "Did you enjoy directing? And what was the experience of directing actors that you had worked with for many years?" Well, it was yes, I did enjoy directing. Um, I haven't I haven't done it enough. I, I haven't pursued the career as a director. I did one movie after we left the show. I didn't care enough to continue to pursue it as a career, but I did enjoy it very much because you get to work with the extraordinary, in the, in the case of these, this crew, this extraordinary well of talent and understanding. And because I knew them so well, I, I knew things you could ask for. And one of the things I wanted to be able to do was direct, as I did in another episode, direct uh, Jamie when he wasn't being the crazoid and he wasn't being, you know, Crazy Max trying to get out of the military. He, was, he had some real moments of sweetness, which he's incredibly deeply capable of. So on the one hand, it's a little intimidating to tell Harry Morgan, <laughs> who knows everything <laughs> yeah. about <laughs> about uh, about everything, you know, to take something a little slower, a little lower. Can you give it a break? Can you can you can you give me a look here or whatever? 
But on the <laughs> other hand, they were all, you know, they were all such pros and they were all, you know, Harry was a director. Alan was a director. Jamie became a director. Uh, I, I don't know if, I think David did as well. Um, so I, I, I knew going in that uh, if I was going to do something and it was wrong, they're going to say, hey, stupid. <laughs> no, that's not the way this should be. <laughs> At the same time as it was intimidating, it was inspiring because you, you had this incredible bunch to work with. It's like w working with family. They're not going to let you, you know, do something really, really stupid. Yeah, exactly. So the other passion you have, and it, it really struck me when I read your book, and I hope everybody goes out and buys that book. Just call me Mike, a journey to actor and activist. <laughs> I'll keep plugging it because I was so thrilled to read it. <laughs> Thank you. The other passion you have, I, I, I'm, I'm so blown away by, by your dedication to sort of humanity and being able to kind of, in some sense, uh, risk your life sometimes um, to do it, uh, but to follow, follow your beliefs and, and helping people who can't necessarily help themselves. I mean, where does that come from? You're, you're really kind of putting yourself out there in, in a, as I say, sometimes dangerous situations. That's, and that's very impressive. Well, thank you. It's, um, it, it's a sort of natural outgrowth. I, I was raised in a situation, as, as I mentioned earlier, my dad was a really tough guy and, and a scary man. And I, I was a scared kid. I, I was, I was a, literally a frightened child for most of my early years. Not because he was abusive, but just he was volcanic and there was the fear that he could be, um, God knows, you know, do whatever. I've, I've said many times and usually it's a laugh. Um, I remember my dad coming home from the bar around the corner, coming through the door, slamming it and saying, if the cops come, I'm not home and going to the back room <laughs> and deputizing us to, uh, to be his protectors. <laughs> Gee. <laughs> <laughs> so it was that kind of a world I grew up in. And it took me many years to understand how angry it made me to be the powerless person in a relationship, the person who was fearful and was overwhelmed by the powerful person in the relationship. And my dad was that way with our entire family. So I know now that he loved us, but he didn't have a, he didn't have a way to express it. He expressed it by working himself to death. He died at 50 years of age. But he didn't have a way to use the word. He didn't know how to use the words. And he didn't know how to be comforting. And he didn't know how to hug. And he the things that we, uh, in this modern age, take more or less for granted to our dismay. So I, I grew up angry at being the, on the low end of the totem pole. Angry at being the powerless one in a, in a power relationship. And I realized as I matured that my tendency was to identify with the underdog and to want to reach out and help those people who, who need help, who are given less, who are cheated. Um, and I, it's, it's, not a, it's not a particularly altruistic thing on my part because I, I experienced it. I experienced it emotionally. I wasn't, I guess there were times when we were hungry, but it wasn't. I wasn't starving to death, and I was not without a house and not without a roof over my head. But emotionally, I, I, I understood that thing. And so for me, being on the side of the underdog is 
the place where I feel I belong. And being given the opportunity to succeed in a career that provided both a fair amount of financial satisfaction, but also visibility, not necessarily power, but a position from which I could be heard made me want to take advantage of that and um, express, not for my own sake, not to glorify myself, but to express certain values, certain truths that I think would help other people realize what they deserve. You know, and, and who you are, you know, who you are as a person and who you, who you grew up becoming and going through the experiences that you, that you went through, uh, certainly as an actor, you walk into any of those roles with who you are. <laughs> mm. And I think, you know, B.J. Honeycutt was so, so interesting and there and, and present because you were interesting and there and present. And I think all of the things that you brought to that uh, made it so much better than perhaps somebody else who may have done it. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I can't imagine it being any better, frankly. Thank you. And I think it's, it's those, uh, those uh, traits that you're talking about really uh, shown through B.J. Honeycutt. And I think that's why he uh, is a beloved character uh, to all MASH fans. And why I think you and, and that character were able to um, sort of elegantly ease into a new character for all the fans who, you know, were, as you say, mourning um, the loss of their other favorite character. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, what a deal, huh, Mike? Wow. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, isn't it, Jeff? Just, wow. It, it, it's, uh, you, you know, we're talking about human experience here, and it seems funny to be talking about a television show when you're putting it out. Yes. Putting it in terms of human experience, but it is, it, it is a, a, a unique and quite extraordinarily powerful tool. It is. That helps, I think, helps people understand things that maybe otherwise they wouldn't. Yeah. And I think everybody on that set, everybody on stage nine, and I think back and, and think of all the people that we knew and all the crew members and the funny stuff that went on and the people who were, who, who's, you know, that show supported a lot of lives, yep. uh, created a lot of families and paid everybody's rent and all that kind of stuff. But boy, you walked on that set and there was just no other feeling like it. There was just a, a it was a magical time. And I, I, you know, I keep, I stammer when I talk about it, but thinking people like, you know, Gene Reynolds and Larry Gelbart, these mature, grown up, intelligent, brilliant people yeah. who weren't, um, they weren't filled with ego, you know, you know, they weren't, no. No. they were just humans and that's what was so incredible about that organization it was so human yeah and i i think it's it's, a, it's certainly a, a tribute to people like gene reynolds who sort of I, I feel like he set the mood a lot because i remember watching him kind of dealing with a lot of high power folks <laughs> uh yeah. but he was a human being and first yeah no absolutely uh, you 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 hit it on the head right there gene was real he was just a damned good man yeah is just a damned good man and it's and uh, and it wasn't about getting over on people it wasn't about showing how smart he was it wasn't about anything but how do we make the show better not not uh, there's no senses of power you know oh i gotta be the powerful uh, guy yeah. i gotta be this guy i got 
No, it was about making this wonderful thing happen as good as it possibly could. Again, what a what a magical experience. <laughs> wow. Truly. Well, that magical experience, but like you said, it had to come to an end. And I, I'm just curious, what are your memories of the, the final days of filming and even the, all of the hullabaloo around the, the airing of the finale? What do you remember about that time? Oh, it's, it's graven in my memory. Uh, I, um, you know, when we made the decision uh, and we, as I related here, when we conveyed it to the people who <laughs> who had to deal with it. it 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 became a kind of lead emotional weight because i knew we knew we were leaving something that would never be repeated and we knew that as you know there in the discussion among the group of us there was a sense of god you, you know, we can't let this go this is this is too wonderful but it's like the, the mother bird pecking the little baby bird to get out of the nest and you know fly you, you get there are time there are certain times when things are necessary and that was the feeling that we don't want this show to sort of somebody to ride it downhill and uh, have it become less than it was we want it to end on a high note so i mean i was juggling it in my own mind god almighty i i don't get to go back to work the next day and i don't get to see these people and because we knew we knew that we were friends where we've remained friends to this day but we also knew our lives and our and our intersection was never going to be quite the same mm -hmm. so there was a, a real a real dichotomy about how to feel about it and i remember god i remember crying the scenes when we when we went through the movie you know the goodbye farewell and amen the scenes where we said to ourselves, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to be here again. I'm never going to say, have the opportunity to express BJ's love for Hawkeye or Colonel Potter or Hot Lips, Loretta, Margaret. And I feel it sometimes today when I think about David Stiers and I think about Bill Christopher and I think about, you know, the people who have, who have passed on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Harry, who, who became a dear personal friend through the show, as did everybody else. But Harry and I maintained a relationship until his death, as I did with David and Bill. And unfortunately, not Larry Linville. Larry left and kind of put us away from himself, in a way. Anyway, um, so, uh, God, I remember the day. I remember the, the, the day of the final episode. You know, we did the movie and then we had to do an episode or two maybe after the movie because the post-production for the film was going to take so much time that they had to shoot it before the end of the episodes. Right. And I remember the last episode and when Bert yelled, cut, that's a wrap. I was carrying a box of Kleenex because <laughs> I was weeping, you know, much of the day. And Alan, I remember Alan laughing at me until he said, can I have some? <laughs> <laughs> Loretta was carrying her own box of tissue. I mean, it was just, it was just an extraordinary time. And then we, uh, you know, we went off and um, we watched the movie together there are so many things to kind of remember. They we'd, we'd work together. We, we've often said this. We'd work Monday through Friday together. And then Saturday, we'd all get our wives or husbands or just significant others and have dinner together <laughs> Saturday night. <laughs> it was this incredible, unbridgeable connection that was made that just uh, 
survived, continued, and continued to thrive, and, and continues to this day to be a very real part of our lives. Yeah. So, when, when I stood on the helicopter pad and said the things to Alan about, but I'll never forget you. Look, I know how tough it is for you to say goodbye, so I'll say it. Maybe you're right. Maybe we will see each other again. But just in case we don't, I want you to know how much you've meant to me. I'll never be able to shake you. Whenever I see a big pair of feet or a cheesy mustache, I'll think of you. Whenever I smell month-old socks, I'll think of you. And the next time somebody nails my shoe to the floor, Somebody gives me a martini that tastes like lighter fluid. I miss you. I'll miss you. A lot. I can't imagine what this place would have been like if I hadn't found you here. And then the wonderful touch with the helicopter goes up and one of the jokes being during the episode, BJ couldn't say goodbye. And then writing out goodbye in the rocks as the, as the helicopter took off was our way to say goodbye and thank you to the audience. Mm -hmm. Because we wanted to make sure that people understood that we deeply loved and appreciated the response we had gotten from all of these people that kept this show alive for all those years and, and has kept it alive now, 36 years beyond its actual existence. I have a box of Kleenex here. For <laughs> <laughs> Does MASH's longevity surprise you? I mean, the fact that it's still, you turn on the TV today, there it is. You can go on Hulu and, and watch the entire series. I mean, are you? does it surprise you that people still are as affected by it today as they were over 36 years ago? I can't say it surprises me because I've gotten, I get mail every day uh, from people who talk about how much the show means to them. The, the, the thing that's, that's become very touching, people write and say, I watched your show with my parents. That was 10 years ago. Now they say, I watched my show, your show with my grandparents. <laughs> and I've grown up with it and I love it. And it'll always be with me. People who weren't born when the show was being shot write and talk about how much it means to them. So I, I can't say it surprises me that it continues, but I will say it thrills me that it continues to, to respond, to, to draw the response it does. Mm -hmm. The embrace, I think of it as an embrace. I still have people walk up to me and say, do you mind if I call you BJ? <laughs> <laughs> and I say, absolutely not. I love when people call me BJ. Well, I I have to say, Mike, I, I so much appreciate it. We appreciate you being here and talking with us today. I know it took a while, but we're very, very happy that it eventually happened. Um, and as, as we say, everything comes to an end. I, I don't want to keep you too long. You've been super generous with your time here and talking with us. So I really, really appreciate it and uh, means a great deal to me, certainly. A couple of things before we end here. I have one serious question I need to ask. Have you ever purchased a product from an infomercial? No. Okay, that's fine. Okay, <laughs> just wanted to know. It's, it was a burning question I've had for years. <laughs> well, I have a very serious question, too. Um, and, and it's a question I'm sure that you have gotten so many times through the years from so many people. But the question is, what was it like working with Jeff Maxwell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
it was it was a never ending treat of uh go ahead (laughs) yeah looking into the looking into those eyes and into that innocent face which always should have been subtitled what did i do wrong today right (laughs) that's with me am i in as big a trouble as i think i'm in (laughs) and I'm really not as stupid as some people think I am. That's the title of Jeff's next book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was Private Igor. <laughs> That's who he was. I, I echo what Jeff said. Thank you so much for your, not just your time today, but just for um, for everything. I mean, I, I think it, I can sum it up from a tweet that we got on our Twitter uh, from Chuck from Canada. When we put it out there, hey, do you have any questions that you would like us to ask Mike Farrell? He says, no questions. Just thanks for being BJ. Yeah. Wow. I echo that. Thank you for being BJ. And thank you for the many, many, many years and hours of enjoyment that you have brought to fans like me. Thank you so much for your time. We really do appreciate it. You're very kind. You're very kind. And you're kind. Listen, uh, I think it's wonderful that you're doing this. It it helps keep the the show alive. It helps keep the, the message of the show alive. And I, I, my cheeks are wet from just some of the things that you've made me remember and talk about. Um, it's, uh, this, this show was a great gift, a gift to me. And a, I, I think of it as a gift to the world. It was. Uh, but, but I thank you for the opportunity to talk. You're going to have a lot of editing to do. I have a feeling. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And if you, if you decide to write another book, which I hope you do, If you do decide to write another book, just remember, Mike, I wrote my book, Secrets of the Mash Mess, The Lost Recipes of Private Igor, and put you on the cover. So just saying, just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Mike, thank you. Love you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And that brings this conversation with Mike Farrell to a close. Jeff Maxwell, this was one of the highlights of uh, my MASH fandom right here. Getting to talk in depth with BJ Honeycutt himself. And I learned things about him that I did not know. So Mm -hmm. that was very exciting. But we really uh, certainly appreciate him being here. And uh, we look forward to perhaps him visiting us again as well as some of the other folks that are connected with the show in various ways. Very happy to do this, uh, MASH Matters. It's it's an exciting thing to do and a lot of fun. Yes, absolutely. Same here. And I'm hoping that you listeners enjoyed listening to this conversation with uh, Mike Farrell and hope that if this is your first time or the second time listening to the MASH Matters podcast, that you might uh, consider subscribing and maybe even reviewing the uh, Match Matters podcast and going back and listening to past episodes. You can find those on your podcast player. You can also find all the episodes at mashmatterspodcast.com. So that wraps up episode 21. Jeff, it has been a pleasure. Indeed, a pleasure. My pleasure was mine. And of course, uh, not that I want to tease anything, but uh, those regular listeners to Mash Matters know that episode 28 (laughs) is indeed the episode that I'm going to reveal something truly shocking. 
to all those who are fans of MASH. So mm. there you. <laughs> I, I did say 28, right? It was you 28. Did. You did say episode 28, which is now a scant seven episodes away. So Seven episodes away. This mm-hmm. is big. But you must listen to the next seven episodes in order to get the certificate to uh, come to listen to the 28th. <laughs> You got to have that because we're not going to send you the certificate unless you can prove to us that you listen to the next seven episodes. We have to punch your card every time you listen to one of the episodes. And then when you get a full card, you get a free sub. Really? Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, I'll (laughs) listen for a good free sub. Let's go. Hey, this has been great. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks again to Mike Farrell for being such a great sport. And until next time, here's looking up your old address. 